Welcome back to the Time for Heroes podcast. Right, on the podcast this week, my guest is Jim Gellitley, a very famous Scottish DJ, kind of like the John Peeler in Scotland. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jim's career right from the start and right up to current day and what's going on. As I said, uh, just take us back to the start, what life was like for a young Jim Gellitley growing up. Well, first of all, thank you very much for pronouncing my name right. That, that's that's fantastic. Yeah. So, yes, excellent. I must be famous when people can pronounce my name right. Um, starting out, um, goodness, so w- w- would you want to go back to Dundee Royal Infirmary 1968 or, or further on? Yeah, so growing up in Dundee then, what was that like? Uh, well, um, I don't remember that much really about my childhood uh we lived on a farm uh my mum my dad and my little sister wendy um and then i went to the high school of dundee and then i don't think i was getting on that well i don't remember much and then i was sent away to boarding school uh, at 11 and then that i think that's a pivotal part because that's where i discovered music Mm -hmm. when i went away to school and there was a guy, there was a guy, there's a punk rocker uh, in my house in the school called Baines. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember he was sort of overseeing us as we were doing our homework. And he had a snooker cue and he was coming along and beating people on the head if they gave the wrong answer to what music they liked. And um, it sounds so bad now, um, but it wasn't. Um, and I think I had one album at the time and it was literally any Alan Partridge fans, it was literally the best of the Beatles. Uh, I think it was called Beatles Greatest or something. Um, It was like a white vinyl, not that white album, but another one. It was pretty much the best of the Beatles. Um, So I said that and I got whacked over the head and then I thought, oh, maybe investigate some other music. And uh, uh, the rest is history, history, basically. So at what what point then did you... Did you think a career in music? Um, well, I'm a frustrated rock star, mm-hmm. as are are many people on the radio. Um, so haven't got any talent when it comes to music. I, I did. I mean, I sang in a school production of My Fair Lady, uh, playing Alfred P. Doolittle, uh, and uh, I was in a, a sort of a a, a pretend band at school as well as a singer, but that was about it. I mean, I can't really hold a note uh, for Toffee. Uh, and for me, it was always the, you know, listening to music and sharing that music with others. So mm-hmm. it was, I sit with my pals and we'd, we'd, we'd share our, our music and, and talk about our music and becoming a broadcaster is just an extension of that, really. I, lo- I love to tell tell people about music and, and see them get excited about it. The biggest thrill I get is when somebody comes up to me at a gig or whatever and says, thank you for introducing me to so-and-so band. And that, for me, well, that that's why I do it. Right. Um, just thinking about myself and obviously like get, getting into bands, you, you know that way when you get into a band at the start and you love them and then... They get too famous, and everybody likes them. Yeah. Um, as, as a guy like yourself at Champions New Music, do you ever find yourself in that position, or are you able to kind of keep the love for the band, even, even as they get bigger and bigger? 
Well, a lot of the time, um, I, I, what interests me is the band on their way up. Mm-hmm. But once they've once they've got to the top, I sort of lose interest because there's something else coming up from behind or whatever. So, um, and and I've always wherever I've worked, uh, I, I've always paid attention to the local scene because it's so accessible. So when I uh, so I, I was at college in Perth, and when I was at college, I'd go and see some local bands in Perth and there was a a band I loved called This Poison mm-hmm. who were signed to uh, well they released a, a single on the Wedding Presents reception label uh, and I saw This Poison supporting the Wedding Present in a tiny little pub in Dundee called Tyndall's uh, and I remember being so excited listening to the John Peel show and uh, John Peel talking about this gig that I was going to I was like wow that's fantastic so um, This Poison never really amounted to much so they're sort of back together sort of doing releases and things um but but they, I, I became a bit of a fan of theirs uh there's another band in dundee called uh, the wild house and the the singer he uh he made he made, he made me up a, a mixtape <laughs> of all these incredible uh bands that i hadn't really heard before so there's stuff like the stooges and mc5 and things like that bands i'd maybe read about in interviews with sex pistols or whatever and uh, sort of the 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 new wave scene, uh, so it, it made me up this cassette. So the, again, they never really made it big or whatever. I would go and see bands at um, Fat Sam's in Dundee on a Sunday night, a night that was called the Dance Factory. It was mm-hmm. the early days. It was run by Stuart Clumpus, who went on to set up Dance Factory Promotions, which later became DF Concerts, Tea in the Park, etc. So that that all started with he'd originally been doing the Ents at Dundee Uni, I think, and uh, became a promoter in his own right. Um, so I go and see all these bands on a Sunday night, knock on the door at the dressing room at the end of the night and go and like meet them and things. So a bit of a groupie, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but it was always really exciting for me going to these gigs, seeing bands on the early part of their careers, be it the uh, Proclaimers or the Primitives or whatever. Um and sort of following them after that. Um, and then I moved to Inverness to work for Murrayforth Radio in Inverness. And again, I got interested in the local scene. Uh, we even even released a, a cassette because my show was called Groove Machine after the Wonder Stuff's eight-legged Groove Machine album. Yeah. Um, we released a, a charity cassette with like local bands on it. Um, so they, they and, and it was the days before um cd and stuff so they all had to submit like reel-to-reel tapes someone cassette and we had to like master them and then when we went up to a place called grampian records right in the north of scotland which uh-huh. was a huge cassette manufacturing business they did all the now albums and everything I right mean, bizarre right in the north of scotland so the, the, the biggest cassette manufacturer certainly in scotland one of the big ones in the uk that all the major labels used so went up and watched how a cassette got made and that was really really exciting and then uh, after um after inverness i moved to aberdeen for a while again got involved in local scene and I, I, by that time i was in the position i could play some of these acts on the radio so that was excited we exciting we 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 did a couple of show a and r showcases um in a a nightclub in Aberdeen as well it was one of those that I, I met my my wife of 25 years um and again when I moved to uh Glasgow to work for Beat 106 initially 
23 years ago, 24 years ago. Uh, again, got interested in the scene down here and the radio stations covering Glasgow and Edinburgh. So it's pretty much anything from Scotland was was uh, catching my attention. Suddenly the pool of music became a lot bigger. Uh-huh. People often say, oh, why do you only play Scottish music? I don't only play Scottish music, but it gives me a focus, especially on the show that I do on Amazing Radio. I bill it as new and emerging music from Scotland and beyond. You know, a lot of these bands are on my doorstep. Why shouldn't I be promoting them? That's the yeah. way I see it. And for, for me, it's really exciting to to see them sort of emerge and, and come through. And yes, sometimes get to the next level, which is fab. But even if they don't get to the next level, it just means everybody else was wrong and I was right. Hmm. So obviously in back then, like Inverness, was it that was that your first job? Um well, yeah, um, so I would say it was eventually I went for a couple of weeks' work experience and stayed for a few years. And after a while, I got a job in the office. Right. Filing, filing stuff. And then uh, from there, I got a job in commercial production, uh, just sort of helping out making the adverts. Um, and then I, I, I was... Off, I was making demos because I was using the time that I was there to learn and to 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 make demos. And eventually, I, I filled in for somebody and did the the, the rock show uh, as a fill in, and then eventually got my own show uh, as a as a sort of volunteer presenter because the presenters mm-hmm. in the evening weren't paid at the radio station, and that sort of led on. And I, I got to do a few cover shifts of like the afternoon show and things, which was weird. I remember um, Iron Maiden, Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter, was number number one in the charts. So I thought it'd be all right to play it on the afternoon show. Well, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Because that was the the day before these radio stations were playlisted. So Uh you would go, you would go into the record, the record library where the records were and select the music that you're going to play. And then you'd go into the studio and there'd be a box of seven inch singles and that would be the playlist. So you had to play some of those, but it was a case of taking the Daniel O'Donnell seven inch at the front and putting it to the back <laughs> <laughs> and then picking the next one that was the front and playing that. And I, I, I guess I would have, I would probably have played uh, Daniel O'Donnell at the time because uh, it was quite a, a diverse uh, sort of selection of tunes on the playlist, but it was literally a, a box of singles in the studio, and you play the one at the front. The rotation was you play you play the one at the front, and then put it to the back of the box. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. So you would end up kind of they don't in the same order all the time. Well, you, no, because you 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 obviously chucking you, in your you, own you, ones in between. Yeah, but... because obviously you wouldn't. Uh, I, I think you'll you'll find. <laughs> have you ever listened to commercial radio? <laughs> <laughs> a lot of them are in the pretty much the same order nowadays are very predictable because there's only about five records that these stations play mm-hmm. so going um like touching back on that first time then you 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 stood in for someone how did it feel like your your very first time on the airwaves it was terrifying and because it was vinyl. Um, I had to sit and time all the records in advance, mm-hmm. my own records, the ones that were 
at the radio station, the seven inches or whatever, they, somebody had already done that. So they'd written the time on it, which was fine. But the, my own ones that I was playing, I had to I had to sort of time it or stopwatch, see how long it was. And it was coming up to the eight o'clock news. And I think it was Teenage Fan Club or something. And there was about 40, it was about 40 seconds short. And I just rambled on. It was just so embarrassing. I said, well, we're, we're coming up to the news now. It's uh, nearly uh, uh, eight o'clock. And uh, after the news at eight o'clock, I've got uh, um, more music. And I'll, I'll just speak a little more because we're nearly at eight o'clock. And uh, yes, oh, it's eight o'clock. Mary for radio. This is the news. It's Howard Hughes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so obviously, then you said you were doing like the rock show. At that point, you, you kind of came onto the rock show. Well, I was doing. I, was doing um, I, I I filled in on the rock show, and then I started. Then actually, a mate of mine uh, called Gregor was doing a show called the Headbangers Show, which is a metal right. show. So actually, my my first regular gig was he decided that he didn't like metal anymore and was into R.E.M. and the Smiths. And I was into like Nirvana and Dead Kennedys and stuff, which metal fans hated. It seems bizarre now because like um, Nirvana are seen as this classic rock band now, but not back then. Nirvana were were, were the enemy. They were like, like a, a horrible sort of punky band. Mm-hmm. Um so I would I would play sort of I would, I would sometimes guest on uh, Gregor's show and bring in my punk records and, and play them and my 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 sort of hardcore um and my my sort of death metal and my Doctor and the Crippens and Napalm Death and stuff like that and slip them in uh, and uh, eventually when when Gregor decided he didn't want to do the show anymore I started doing the Headmanger show and not quite to my tastes but I did enjoy it. Uh, then further down the line, I got my own show, which was called The Groove Machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was sort of alternative music rather than, than metal. And that came about because another presenter decided they didn't like indie music, <laughs> um, I, if, I, if I remember correctly. And he, he started to like dance music as a guy called Darren Young, who... Uh-huh. Um, um, Darren Adam, sorry, that was uh, Darren Young was a footballer. Uh, yeah. Darren Adam, who um, who had been doing a show on Murray Firth Radio since he was about thirteen or fourteen, and then moved down to Edinburgh to work for Radio Fourth, and then he um, more recently he's in Iceland now. But I think he was um, he was at LBC for a while in London doing very serious news stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, amazing voice uh, Darren's got. But no, so when Darren sort of left the the indie stuff aside because he was getting into dance music, I think I I might have stolen his shot, his 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 um, slot. I think I'm not quite sure. It's so long ago. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> so so then moving for Inverness to Aberdeen, what was it the same sort of music, the same sort of show you were doing in Aberdeen? The first show that I did in Aberdeen. Uh huh. Was the rock show, right? <laughs> it was holiday cover for a guy called Dave McLeod, who um, Dave, Dave McLeod for many years he moved out to London, became a voiceover on Channel Four. Right, you'd always you'd always hear his voice and an amazing, amazing voice. But he was into his rock music, um, so that was my first slot. But I actually moved to Aberdeen to be an engineer <laughs> rather than a presenter. I was almost I was on loan. 
from Murray Firth Radio to North Sound as an engineer. And uh, th- I mean, I still to this day can't wire a plug or anything. But in those days, commercial radio had a lot of speech shows. So mm-hmm. basically, I was what's called a tape operator. So for the evening recordings of speech shows like the business show, the motor show, the holiday show, um, I would sit and press play and record and um, onto big reel-to-reel tapes and do any editing and stuff like that. So it was it was it was more that sort of thing, right. um, and eventually I made the decision that I would stay in Aberdeen. It was a job came up as a sort of assistant commercial producer, helping make the ads. So I, I moved Lock, Stock, and Barrel uh, through to, and eventually gave. I was still going back and doing shows in Inverness, I but I moved sort of full-time to to Aberdeen and stayed there for about nine years and eventually started doing a show. Uh, at this point, still not making a living from being a radio presenter. I didn't start making a living as a radio presenter until North Sound split frequencies into the FM service and the AM service. So you had North Sound 1 and North Sound 2, and I got the evening show on North Sound 1 with uh, playing sort of new acts and pop stuff and new music so for example i'd have an interview with um nirvana one week um and the spice girls the next i think right. i did an interview or, or boys or whatever i think i did an interview every single day on that show but i mean that that was when the when it split frequencies that's when i was finally uh making a, a living out of uh of playing music prior to that um, I mean, I had to get because the commercial production work dried up, so I had to get like a proper job for a wee while. So, but but it was a great job. I worked in One Up Records in uh, Aberdeen, in Belmont Street, in in Aberdeen. It was originally in Diamond Street. Actually, it was in Diamond Street uh, at the time in Aberdeen. So I, I worked behind the counter in a record shop. And if anyone's seen the movie High Fidelity or yeah. Empire Records. It's like that times 10, <laughs> working in a record shop. Just crazy characters. Met so many amazing people there. How does, um, obviously, you said about your interviews. Back then, how were you conducting your interviews? Obviously, we didn't have Zoom. If you're up Marbledean, um, I'm assuming you're not travelling there to interview these guys. So is it all done over the phone? No, no, Um Folk would go on radio tours. They still do to an extent, but not as much. Because when ISDN came in, you know, that everybody just sat in a studio in London or sat in a hub. So they would come to there was like they would come to Glasgow, for example, and sit in Radio Clyde and do the interviews with all the the the, the Scottish stations from Glasgow. But no, I mean the Spice Girls came into North Sound. Did they? Yeah. So that was the so they started at the top of the country uh, to promote wannabe. Started started in Aberdeen. So I was I would be the first person. There's a guy called Liam Coburn who claims he was the first, but he did an interview with them as well at North Sound. But I, I'll I'll take the credit of being the first person in regional regional radio to interview the Spice Girls. <laughs> so um, yeah, so they they were they were there, and this is so early they didn't even have their names at the time. So my stock question, which they'd probably been at, would have been asked all the time, is: if you were a spice, what spice would you be? 
<laughs> Crazy, because now we know the Spice Girls by their Spice names. Ginger, Posh, yeah, Sporty, Scary. So, Crazy. And Baby, yeah. Can't forget her. <laughs> yeah. And how did you need to change your, your interview style between the likes of Nirvana and Spice Girls and how easy was it to kind of juggle between different different styles of musician? Very easy, very easy, um, because um, you're ultimately speaking to them and trying to have a conversation like you're doing with me at the moment, making mm-hmm. me feel at ease and just having a chat. It's not a case of, so when were you formed? Tell me about the new single. It was like, you 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 know a bit about them and artists will always appreciate that if you know a bit about them i remember doing an interview with ryan adams and i'd heard that he could be quite difficult mm-hmm. um but he, he was absolutely adorable and he said afterwards not to me but to the guy from the record company that was really good because he he engaged with me and he knew he knew about my music he didn't just and he knew about the music that i'm into so we had yeah. a good we had a good conversation, not an interview. You know, we were it was it was two way, and that's that's how they work best, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one on my list as well. I would I would love to have on the podcast. Um, I a, a cracking guy. Going further forward, Beat One Hundred Six appeared. Um, so that was like a new radio station at the time. I can I can remember obviously it was. Clyde One was a big one, and then all of a sudden there was this new radio station on the airwaves. So, how does that feel, kind of coming in at the start of something? It was it was very exciting, and there were big um, big idea. I mean, one of the first moves they made was to poach the breakfast show from Clyde One. Mm-hmm. So George Bowie jumped ship from people don't remember this. He wasn't there for very long. Because he went back, because it's, it's for some reason his his DJ gigs uh, dried up, uh, and that's obviously a big part of his income. But uh, no, George Bowie jumped ship from uh, from Clyde to come to Beat One Hundred Six to do the the breakfast show. So it was it was it was pretty incredible, and uh, you know it, it was amazing to be at a radio station right at the start. It was inc- I mean, I only I only lasted. Yeah, you long. <laughs> Yeah, I I didn't last long at all because they changed the the they they got taken over by sort of capital and the guy Richard Park who was who had been at Clyde and was he was he was the headmaster in Fame Academy the TV yeah, yeah. talent show uh, he came in spoke to everybody and said oh, all right yeah your jobs are all safe I was out the door the next week. <laughs> So I went. I went down to London for six months. Um, but when I was in London, I was um, I met the the guy that was running Beat One Hundred Six, and he says, you know, you know, why don't you come back and do some shows for us six months later? And I said, yeah. So I started commuting. This was, and it was bizarrely, it was at the XFM Christmas party that I bumped into him. Right. And and so I started commuting. At the weekends, back to Scotland to do a show. I mean, nowadays you just do it in London, send it up the line or whatever. But I actually came back, flew up like Ryanair, thirty quid flights or whatever. Conveniently, um, you know, I would tie it in with the football as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I'd say, oh, I'm coming back to see the family. I'd do some radio, um, 
So initially, I think that was why I was coming back. But then I was like, well, I'm coming back to the Scotland at the weekends anyway. So no problem. I can start doing the show. So And then uh, when Pure Mix, the company I was working for in London, which was like an on-demand um, streaming radio service, I would sit in a room uh, recording links for various radio stations and people right. would go on this website, puremix.com, and uh, it would ask them, do you like this? Do you like this? You tell them. And then it would gear a radio state. It pretty much like Spotify, a playlist you want, but it had presenters on it, which Spotify now could do as well through AI, which is very scary. But yeah. I would I would sit in a studio and one minute I would do, you're listening to pure smooth jazz. <laughs> but the next I'd be doing some metal or, or some extreme hip-hop or whatever where they were full of motherfuckers you know what i mean which you couldn't normally play on the radio and pure mix was such an amazing idea the website was a lifestyle website as well i'd be writing for that um i would be doing a new music show as well that would be on a loop so i would i would record it but there was no start and end mm -hmm. so it would be looping so someone would join it and they'd listen right to the end until it got back to the bit they started again because it was just on a loop bonkers um but because the take-up of broadband we were still on dial-up then wasn't as fast as expected it, it didn't work out, unfortunately mm -hmm. but when that when that fell i mean that was backed by millions by uh, chrysalis uh when that when that fell apart i came back to beat 106 and they created a show for me like midnight till 6 a.m or something like that uh -huh. Which is I mean, people were listening to the radio at that time, and the response was great. Um, so that so I returned to Beat One Hundred Six after that. After then, how long was it then before XFM took over Beat One Hundred Six? Uh, XFM. Um, well, what was happening is Beat One Hundred Six had started off as a new rock and in indie station, mm -hmm. and then it became more of a dance station. That was one of the reasons I was let go is because the evening show became like dance shows uh -huh. with Colin Tevendale and uh, Trevor Riley. Um, so there, the, the, there was still space for me, but like one show a week doesn't pay the mortgage. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons that I sort of left. Um, and um, what they found was the perception of, this bang and dance station was it was a bit neddy, which the advertisers at the time didn't like. I mean, some right. some obviously did, and it's funny because people still love Beat One Hundred Six. And there's a new my my mate Richard who worked at, uh, at Beat One Hundred Six as the original sort of head of music. I mean, Richard has said there there is a Beat a Beat One Hundred Six Scotland that exists as an app right. for streaming music with a lot of the original presenters. Uh, doing shows so people can still get beat 106 albeit slightly different um yeah so it became more of a dance station but they decided they, they wanted to attract a, attract a different demographic so they wanted to have more rock so they sort of relaunched it a wee bit um as a as more of a rock station beat 106 people don't remember this because it wasn't particularly successful and eventually they were looking at selling it uh, but instead, they decided to rebrand it as XFM, which was another of their stations. And I was over the moon because XFM was my dream gig. 
Mm-hmm. It was the station I had always wanted to work for. I still have the rejection letter from the original boss, Sammy Jacob, when XFM first started uh, as a, a full-time license in London. Um, so to to work for XFM uh, was was just uh, amazing. And I did some collabs as well with uh, John Kennedy, who's still on Radio X, does his uh-huh. show. And, you know, we, we went and did, did sort of live shows from... South from a bit from a hotel room in South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and stuff like that. Just a just a, a amazing to be part of XFM, and then <laughs> and then they rebranded it to Galaxy, was it Galaxy? I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then by, by yeah. all accounts, and, and now it's Capital, yeah, basically. So by all accounts, XFM was it, it was a bit mad. I've seen the the documentary kick out the jams. Yeah, which doesn't really, which doesn't really start on. Um, it doesn't really include the period that XFM Scotland exists. It was interesting because I had totally forgotten mm-hmm. that when Beat One Hundred Six applied for a license originally, was it Beat One Hundred Six or was it prior to that? Anyway, originally, uh, XFM Chris Parry, uh, who features in the documentary. And uh, I think Alan McGee was involved as well. And that, that's talked about in the documentary to, uh-huh. to bring XFM to Scotland. They didn't get the license. Um, but I mean, absolutely, uh, absolutely fascinating. <laughs> that, but that, that, that was before XFM Scotland be- became a thing. And to be honest, by the time XFM Scotland existed, the original ethos of the original XFM, which is featured in the documentary, mm-hmm. uh, had gone probably. Yeah,因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因为因
The um, Amy McDonald would have been definitely beat 106. Twin Atlantic, maybe beat 106, possibly XFM. Glass Vegas was certainly XFM because I remember mm-hmm. going to see them. I'd seen them a few times. I remember going to see them at King Tut's and my pal Susan, who was working at um, at the radio station. Now, was it Beat 106? No, it was maybe Beat 106. Again, that was Beat 106 because they wanted to get Alan McGee on to do a show. And I knew that Alan and Susan said, Alan McGee's at this gig. So my boss sent me to King Tut's to speak to Alan McGee to try and, to try and connect them to do a show on Beat 106. So again, that was Beat 106. I don't think I did anything at XFM. Oh, did you? <laughs> no, I must have. I must have. I must have. I'm just looking at like, a lot of those bands are from that, the same kind of period of time, which yeah. obviously that that was kind of... So of 80, 85 through to about 80... Not 80. Nine, nine, 2000, no, about, about 2005 through to 2007... I haven't a clue what radio station I was working on because pretty much I was doing the same show uh, uh-huh. with different names. But um, that was a very exciting time. And for me as a Dundonian, seeing the likes of The View come through and have a number one album was an incredible thrill. Yeah, and they did, they smashed it as well. They kind of It was like having our own kind of libertines in Scotland. Mm. It was like having... You didn't need to look down there anymore. We had our own scene up here. And Absolutely. Obviously, I was, the viewer still, one of my all-time favourites. I, I get into the, the full Dundee scene, all the other bands that kind of revolved around them. Luva, oh, yeah, Luvaana and all that, um, yeah. All sorts. I mean, even like the smaller bands that, that a lot of people will know heard, like the Brogues and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I I immersed myself in that scene, but at that time, bands were getting record deals. Still, they were still. It, music's changed a lot in the last maybe fifteen twenty years, and it's not as easy for these bands. Do you think we'll ever see a a kind of replication of that in the future? Um, not in the same way, um, because the the whole record label thing has changed dramatically. I mean, I remember growing up, a band would go on tour to promote a record. And now uh, an act will release music to promote a tour because mm-hmm. there's more money there. And um, there's, uh, and, and you know, it's not just about releasing music to make money. There's, sync deals there's merchandise there's so many other pieces of the pie yeah you if you were just if you're an artist just recording and releasing music you probably not make a living out of it so you have to find other bits and bobs so it's very different and the live thing is probably more important now than it used to be i mean pop acts didn't used to tour Mm -hmm. if you think about it they they didn't really tour that much um now you know you know there's a huge pop act at the hydro every other week yeah you know? they're playing massive productions and everything a huge yeah. and as all more focused on merchandise and yeah you buy the merchandise and um, because that that is where they get paid 
That's right. I mean, I remember, and I mean, I, I interviewed uh, I interviewed a band recently, and uh, they were doing a charity single, and they realised that they wouldn't make any money for the charity mm-hmm. <laughs> by by releasing the song. So they released merchandise to relate to the song, and that's how they make the money for the charity. Bonkers, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, around about that time, then as we're talking about. Uh, 2005 to 2007. Um, you were that was a rough guideline. I picked yeah. those out, out of my head. <laughs> but, I mean that that's around about the time 2007. You were voted into the Daily Record Hot 100. Oh yeah. 2008. Oh, was it Evening Times? Was it? Oh, I don't know. I think you get two awards. I think you get one for Daily Record, one for Evening Times. For what I okay. played up on. And obviously, <laughs> the following year, you get your John Peel. Oh, it was something like the most eligible or something nonsense like that. Yeah. But you're obviously, <laughs> obviously well-recognised then and, like, highly thought in the music industry. Well, I am quite there. distinctive looking, so that does sort of help. And, uh, and, and one of the things about it, I'd rather someone said, oh, look, there's a bloke with blue hair than, oh, look, there's a big fat bloke. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and all, as I touched on as well, John Peel Award for Outstanding Contribution to Radio. How is it, firstly, winning an award like that, but obviously with the, the name John Peel that's highly thought of throughout broadcasting for many years, so he got that award. Yeah, that was that, that was crazy. That. It, was, it was coming up to my... Um... It was coming up to my 50th birthday and there was an inkling at the time that XFM was on its last legs. So the boss, uh, Stuart, he got us all into a room for like a meeting and said, Jim, you're coming up to your 50th birthday. Um, Now, when you when you were setting out and uh, wanting to get involved in music, uh, there was a particular person, wasn't there, that you looked up to and said, yes. Uh, Peter Easton on BBC Radio Scotland. Not the answer he wanted. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he wanted John Peel as the answer. And uh, I mean, obviously, I was a fan of John Peel. Um, but um, the, so he had all those pictures of me as a kid and stuff. And I was like, what is going on here? And at the end of this meeting, he revealed that I would be presented with this award down at the O2 in London. And the reason that he was telling me. <laughs> that um that I would be getting this award rather than being surprised on the night was because uh-huh. he knew he knew if I didn't know about it I wouldn't have gone. I'd rather have been <laughs> doing my radio show. So I, I went mean... down I went down it was at the Indigo two uh sort of the the sort of little nightclub. Well it's not that little it's probably bigger than any nightclubs in Scotland uh at the O2 and uh, it was this um music Music and Radio Awards by the Radio Academy. So there were lots of different awards being handed out. I mean, before I got my award, Gary Barlow had received one for like Song of the Year or something. So I go up and get mine. So it's uh, Namone from, I think she's on Six Music. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, she sort of introduced it and um, pronounced my name wrong, of course, unlike a professional like yourself <laughs> who does this, who, who knows. Um. And then uh, John Fratelli comes on stage, and and I didn't know he didn't even know he was in the building. So John Fratelli came on and awarded me with this uh, lovely sort of glass trophy for 
the PRS uh, Radio Academy John Peel um, Award for contribution to music, uh, which was pretty special. I mean, John Peel himself, before it had been renamed in his honor, had won that award. Uh -huh. Just a list, a, a who's who of radio legends. I mean, of that list of people who'd previously won it, like I don't know Kenny Everett, uh, Tony Blackburn and the likes, um, I and John Peel, of course, I, I was probably the only person on that list that I hadn't heard of. Right. <laughs> and... But I mean, it, it's in, it, it, I'm, what, what an incredible honour that was. Just to, to be in the, mention the same breath as some of these people. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's brilliant recognition for all the, all the work you've put in throughout the years. I've I, I seen a video, it was on YouTube. I don't know if they played that at the awards ceremony with Snow Patrol and Katie. Oh, yeah, Patrol. yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because Amy McDonald is so computer literate and brilliant on social media and Instagram and videos and stuff. Amy McDonald had been asked to do a video but she couldn't work the video camera apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so she, so it's, uh, I think it's uh, Biffy Clyro, Snow Patrol and Katie Tunstall. Yeah, that's that. Biffy's the other one, yeah. Video? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so after, after that, obviously you've had lots of, lots of different radio stations going forward for there. Uh, radio Scotland, Clyde One, amazing radio. Um, Amazing Radio actually is the one that I probably worked for Amazing Radio for longer than any other radio station. Uh-huh. So it's bonkers. How does it how does it work just kind of jumping between these radio stations and do you find differences? What what are the differences between each each one? Uh they're, they're generally they're generally quite different. I mean, Amazing Radio uh is I mean, I'd have to go right back to my Murray Firth radio and my North Sound days when I did a show where I got to pick all the music. Mm -hmm. So Amazing Radio, I pick all the tracks that I play as long as they've been uploaded to the Amazing Radio website. So that's a big difference. Most radio stations are playlisted, which is a good thing because, I mean lots of research goes into it and everything uh, it, it's nice when there's an opportunity to be able to play other things um so so that so amazing radio is my passion it's almost to an extent like my hobby because my day job is as a forces broadcaster uh -huh. so i work for a radio station called bfbs which has got radio stations across the world Mm -hmm. uh, British Forces Broadcasting Service. So I do the breakfast show for BFBS Scotland from an army barracks in Edinburgh. Um, so that's a totally different sort of show. And that's utilising some of my experiences as a broadcaster rather than a new music supporter. Uh -huh. But it, uh, something will come up like a track from The View or whatever, and I will have a story. And I was like, oh, that, that's Katie Tunstall. I was the first person ever to play her on the radio without sounding too big-headed, you know? Uh, and uh, so so it, it's totally different. But for me, it's pretty incredible when I have seen so many incredibly talented broadcasters fall by the wayside due to radio stations networking, closing down, 
and there not being so many jobs out there that I am still making a living out of being a broadcaster. I find that absolutely incredible. Um, and and the BFBS thing is just an incredible experience. So as I said, um, I, I, I do the show from uh, an army barracks in Edinburgh, Dreghorn Barracks, uh, but I've both so I'm on like a, a contract that could see me be at any of the BFPS stations around the world. Six months last year, I was in the Falkland Islands. Yeah, I was going to touch on that. What's, yeah. what's it like there? How what's uh, what's it like uprooting yourself to somewhere like that? It was it was quite difficult, but um, what was good about it was having already been a forces broadcaster for a few years. Finally, actually, really becoming part of that community and feeling like I was part of that community and also going there for six months, whereas the majority of the listeners uh, who are mostly RAF and a lot of con contractors as well, um, they're going for maybe four months. Mm -hmm. So I'm in the same position as them. I'm away from home so I can really relate to them. So for me, that, that was, that was just, amazing and the wildlife and the experience you know just to go a short drive and go and sit on a beach and just be the only person for miles and miles and just watch penguins waddling past just incredible brilliant that's amazing um man at street preachers you're a big fan of them yes so I yeah they, they they asked you to do the 20th anniversary tour of the holy bible hmm Again, yeah. then, for, for to be a fan of a band and for them to ask you to come and do that, how much an honour was that and how, how much? That was incredible because I'd known the guys. I'd known the guys. In fact, I just found the other day signed copy of um, Generation Terrorists uh, signed by uh, it was signed, signed by Nicky and Richie because um, I'd sort of been, I think I'd interviewed them at, uh, I think they were playing Fat Sam's in Dundee, and I went and interviewed them at Radio Tay. Uh, but I'd interviewed them a few times, and there was one time uh, I, I actually, I mean, Manics famously don't do encores. Mm -hmm. They did once, and I was there. So they, they played the Marquee Club in London, and it was just round about, I think it was possibly... When You Love Us came out the first time before it was re-released. Uh -huh. um, so they, they did this gig and then they went off stage and then the PA started playing music again. It was like, I think it would have been Guns N' Roses or Public Enemy because they were their two favourite bands. Uh, and then, then awkwardly, uh, people were chanting them to come back. They came on and did an encore. And it was probably, they shouldn't have, but I have seen them do an encore. And I was, um, the one is bizarre because one of the biggest supporters in the mainstream press of Manic Street Preachers, and they were getting NME stuff and things. Um, one of the biggest supporters in the mainstream press was the Daily Star yeah. of all newspapers in their like pop column. And I was sat there. I had, uh, had a big fake fur coat, my sort of hair, um, I had Doc Martens, fluorescent Doc Martens, one pink and one green. And I was sat on the stairs, a Daily Star photographer wanted to take a picture of me as a Manic Street Preachers fan. <laughs> and what Manic Street Preachers fans look like. I've never seen these photos 
So uh, I would I'd love to see the photo of it because it existed. But no, um, that was pretty. That was pretty special. That really was uh, to to um, do that to be asked by the band, and then get this even more bizarrely uh, a bump into Ian Rankin. I had the writer. Right, so I bumped into Ian Rankin and I was chatting to him. Yeah, I mean, he knew who I was, um, which I would just blew me away. <laughs> and then I ended up taking Ian Rankin backstage to introduce him to Nicky Wire. Brilliant! Isn't that mental? Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a really good story, man. Um, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> but we're we're going towards the end of the interview, obviously. Back at that time when all these bands were out, obviously you had your your evening show um, and you had Vic Galloway on like, Radio 1 doing the, the Scottish... Um, like the I, Scottish first met, I first met Vic. I first met Vic when he came in with his band Miraclehead and did a session right. at, at Northside. So I'd known Vic for years. So, so when you were kind of on the radio... Doing the same kind of shows, doing the and breaking new music. Did you feel some sort of competition between each no. other? No, never, never. Because you're both doing the same thing, aren't you? So you're both. Yeah, but the the more people, the more people doing that, the better. Um, no, no, man, and and um, I mean, I had guested on, so Vic Vic show. On he'd obviously done the Radio One show. Um, his um, his Radio Scotland show. I think if I remember correctly, he took over from Peter Easton, who was uh, my hero. Um, and um, I was on the last ever show that Peter did, I think, which came from Aberdeen, and I was a guest. And I think Vic Vic was in Aberdeen at the time as well for some some event that was going on. That I think I might have been involved with like a showcase event mm-hmm. i think it's it's sketchy it's a long time ago but but no i mean i've i've done a lot of stuff with vic over the years like panel discussions and all sorts yeah yeah i just i, just, I, I kind of thought that would answer i kind of thought he's a both in it he's a both doing it for the, the love of music so there, there is nearly like we're, a... we're we're both public school boy punk rockers yeah <laughs> kind of before we touch on your heroes obviously how do you feel now? What's the state of the radio industry now? With obviously the competition, of Spotify. What's the? How do you feel things? I, th- things I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I. I think people still like a voice, and I think radio stations make a mistake by being heavily playlisted without a point of interest. And this is where I think radio stations, especially community radio stations, have the upper hand because they can introduce people to things that are a bit different and curate it in a different way that maybe Spotify can't. Whereas Clyde or Forth or whatever, who are doing a brilliant job and are hugely successful, they are basically portals for commercials and getting people to win money, playing some great music that people love, and some some funny chat. Whereas, um, from a, a point of view of being introduced to new music, 
that's where people like myself and, and Vic come in and have an important role. We'll never get the numbers that these hugely successful commercial radio stations or uh, BBC stations like Radio One get, but uh-huh. um, we will hopefully, you know, people will remember the first time that, that we played a, a band or whatever, or an artist. Yeah, so I think I mean, um, and it's totally it's totally different. I mean, Spotify, Spotify is, is is an amazing thing, and what it means, all the streaming services means that everybody's music is on the level playing field, sort of. It's accessible, not necessarily because the, the we know about the algorithms and things. But back in the day, if I wanted to hear a piece of music, I'd have to go into a record shop and buy it. Uh huh. Now I can say, oh, have you heard about this new band, blah, blah, blah? No. Two minutes later, I'm listening to it. Yeah. So um, obviously the radio still holds a, a great weight for these new bands. You see it all the time, new bands, and they'll always, in their bio, they'll say radio play. Everybody once played with John Kennedy, obviously. That, yeah, that's yeah. The, the great help. So have you got any tips for, for new bands and how to how to go about getting radio play. You know what helps if you butter people up? Because <laughs> what we you you'll, you'll get I'll get and and it's it's often um, PR pluggers and things that are responsible for this, not the bands themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. I I often do prefer if a band themselves get in touch than a a plugger because a plugger will come in with two big big feet. And say, hey Jim, uh, this is this great new act we're working. Um, this is their debut single. Um, they're uh, they've been played by Vic Galloway. They've been featured in Zane Lowe and Beats, and they've been played by Lamac. And I'm thinking, yeah, and I've played their last three singles. This isn't their first single, and you <laughs> just feel off, you know. Um, so I I think you know create a relationship and if somebody doesn't get back to you because i mean i get a lot of emails i mean i must say if if i'm to consider something to play on amazing radio it has to be uploaded to amazingradio.com in the first place Mm -hmm. um so i spend a lot of my time uh, telling that to acts and maybe if they've done some research they'd have known that um but, but i mean that's that that's not a problem because their job is making great music it's not you know, being um, pr- promoting them- themselves, but you know that personal touch can make can make a big difference. I find, um, and uh, that's what I would say. And if, if somebody doesn't get back to you, doesn't mean they don't like it. It means maybe it's passed them by. Um, there is there's a band that I am playing on my sh- I played on my show the past couple of weeks called April Four. Mm-hmm. And they'd uploaded to Amazing Radio a while back, but I'm I'm going through all the uploads, and all it said, well, it didn't have any information. It just said April four, United Kingdom, and a couple of things. So if they'd even put where they were from in the UK, I'd have spotted they were Scottish, or one of them was Scottish, and that would have, that would set alarm bells, and I'd have featured their previous tracks. Because they're, they're they're really really good, and I'm looking forward to their album and stuff. But yeah. um, it, it, you know, if, if the more information you can get, because often I'll get stuff sent. So, hi there, we are blah 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 band. This is our new single. Do you mind playing it? If they said in their email, "Hi, we're blah 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 band. 
we're from Dundee rather than we're just another band in the world. Because I will, I will, I will, you know, make a point of an act that's from Scotland giving, putting prep, giving that more. It sounds awful that I'm giving preference to bands from Scotland, but I mean, there are so many bands in the world. I cannot physically listen to everything that's uploaded to amazing radio. So the more help you can give me by telling me where you're from, for starters, dropping me an email, even if you're not Scottish, dropping me an email to say, we've uploaded our song, think you might like it because we know you like blah, 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 blah. That sort of personal connection makes, uh, makes, uh, it's (laughs) rubs my ego. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, but it it, uh, makes me feel good, you know? And that's good. You you yeah, want someone you want to, somebody to you want somebody to be in a good mood when they hear your music. And the fact that you said, "Well, we really like your show. We'd love to be considered," you know, does actually make a difference. And mm-hmm. I'm listening to it in a different mindset than oh, bloody band haven't even told me where they're from. Yeah, that that was. Saying... They're expecting the world. They're expecting me to make them stars. Ha! Get lost. Yeah, and the, the more <laughs> well, I sound like it... some sort of prima donna, don't I? The more info that, that they give you as well, that you're able to kind of oh, absolutely, because all, all, all the if the the information that I have is the name of the band and the name of the song, you know, yeah. I have nothing. Where they're from is important. What gigs they've got coming up, maybe who they played with. Um, I mean, I'm not interested in what their influences are and stuff like that. Maybe if it was recorded by. Um, somebody in another band or something like that or recording the same studio where somebody did something else or or some little tidbit that will people that are listening will say oh that's interesting rather than that was this is yeah i mean it is, there's nothing better than saying here's an amazing piece of music i'm not going to tell you anything about this band just listen to this see what you think i'll tell you more after the track and just leaving it a total blank slate nothing better than that but you don't get away with that very often. Yeah. But yeah, that all makes perfect sense. Doesn't it? Perfect sense. So I we've done nearly an hour. It's been a pleasure having you on. <laughs> the, oh the last bit of the podcast, obviously, it's called Time for Heroes. And I asked my guests to pick four heroes to come for dinner, dead or alive, from whatever aspect of life you want. But yeah, well. four heroes to come for dinner. Why they're your heroes and what, what are you cooking them as well? Been thinking about this so much, and actually, Nikki Wire was on my list for a wee point, and I thought, yeah, but then other people came to mind. So, um, this is my list. Mm-hmm. Uh, so first up is one of my all time favorite footballers who played for Dundee. I, I was such a fan of this player that I wanted to name my son after him. Uh, the compromise was um, my eldest son is called Angus because we're from the Angus area uh-huh. of, uh, of the country. Um, and his middle name is D. <laughs> so that, that, that was, that was the token, the token, the, the token hint at Dundee. And I was very annoyed when I, I bought a, a brick at Dens Park that they put the word D in inverted commas like it was Angus D. Gellatly, like it was a nickname. No, <laughs> D is actually his middle name. But no, I wanted to call him Darius. Now, this <laughs> it's just as well, because uh, this was just before Darius uh, Dinesh uh, 
came on the telly on uh -huh. Idol or whatever it was. So people would have just assumed that was why. But <laughs> there's a Poli the Polish spelling of Darius. There's Darius Sadamczyk who played for Dundee and uh, Polish international went on to play for Rangers. Yeah. And like so many players that played for Scottish clubs that got signed by the old firm, just it, it never really took off and was an absolute legend for me. I remember a goal he scored against St. Johnston at McDermott Park, just like to the ball in his own half, right up. Whew. Just uh, incredible. So so Darius Damchik, I'd uh, uh -huh. have him uh, as my four. Some, um, of my, some of my good players at Dundee had it at that point as well. You seem to be Claudio Canigia as well. Well that was that was a lot later on. That was a lot later on. So um so this this was this was pretty special. We had a couple of Polish internationals in the team. Mm -hmm. We weren't particularly good on the field, but uh no, it was exciting. I mean, I when all Raffinelli and Canigia and everything played for Dundee, that was just a different level. So was, uh, it, was it a Spanish one? Was it was it Caballero? Was he Dundee? Uh, uh, yeah, sort of I'm um, Argentinian, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you yeah. know, a lot of uh, yeah, a lot a lot of incredible oh Fabian Caballero, what a player, what a yeah. player, and Juan Sara as well. Oh, so many, so many great memories. But we're on a roll now. We've got a great team. And my next one is actually a current member of the team. And that's Owen Beck, who right. is probably the most exciting defender that I've seen for as long as I can remember. Um, Welsh under 21 international, called up to the main squad uh, recently. Uh, he, sadly, sadly, I don't think we'll get to see much more of him beyond uh, this season because he's on loan for Liverpool. Right. Um, uh, just, uh, and actually, with Andy Robertson injured, I'm now worried he'll get recalled sooner rather than later. Just an incredible talent. And see, you know, he's he's a defender, but see when he comes forward. Wow. So Owen Beck is uh, the second I'm going of to, my I'm going picks. to check him out as well. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's absolutely incredible. Owen Beck. Um. I'm going back a bit and something a bit more musical. Um, so I'm not going with like John Peel or Peter Easton, who'd be an obvious one. Uh, I'm I'm going to Jan going for Janice Long, right? Um, because Janice Long, uh, Jan Janice Long had a great rapport with John Peel uh, when she did the evening show. She did the slot that pretty much became the evening session further down the line. Mm -hmm. The, the likes of Joe Wiley and Lamac made their own. But that slot was always, always had sort of interesting sessions and bands and stuff. So um, Kid Jensen, uh, Mike Smith possibly for a while, uh, Mark Goodyear too, I think, are all presenters in that slot. But I'm when I was at school, I would love listening to Janice Long in the evening uh, and she would do like the the music press reviews and all that sort of stuff. Have some amazing sessions, great taste in music. The owner, I mean, sadly, Janice no longer with us. I had an honor of being on a panel with uh, Janice Long at um, in the city music conference in Manchester right, uh, yeah. a number of years ago. So I, I would have Janice Long. Uh, so just to, just, just a brilliant and you and you know in the latter years of her life she was doing a still doing a new music show on the radio on BBC Radio Wales so uh, Janice Long in there and my final one is Lewis Capaldi and because it because he's just so funny and apart from anything else I have never properly met Lewis Capaldi which seems ridiculous I've met members of his family at gigs <laughs> and stuff but I haven't actually met Lewis 
knowing who he is because I have met him when he was playing in a band when he was pretty young and his band were playing. I was also the guitarist from um, Youngblood as well. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Adam. Yeah. So, so he was in the band as well. So they were, they, they were on the train back to West Lothian from Edinburgh. They'd been doing a gig at Studio 24 in Edinburgh, I think. And my, Myself and my daughter Jasmine, we'd been at the Liquid Room to see Nina Nesbitt. So we're on the train back together, and these young guys come and approach me and say, "Yeah, Jim, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we were in a band, yeah." And then I'm like, "Oh yes, get me your demo." And I played the demo on the radio, and uh, later on, I discovered that Lewis Capaldi was one of these kids. So I have met him on a train, and uh, played his band. But uh, aside from that, I've never sort of met him as Lewis Capaldi. Yeah the artist i did see his first gig at king tuts um when he played uh i mean he did it would be round about the time he got signed i think uh, mm-hmm. his manager scott invited me along to the gig and uh he did bruises and it was just like that line there must be something in the water was so memorable i think he started off the gig with that and maybe did it later on as well and i came away uh, and that's I, I came away and thinking, wow. And then from then on, it was like anything from Bathgate. It was always that line <laughs> of uh, it's uh, or Whitburn. It's always that line. There must be something in the water in yeah. West Lothian, which has been used many and many a time. I was certainly when I was writing a, a newspaper column uh, in, in a, uh, Scotland's biggest selling tabloid. Uh, I, I certainly used that line several times about West Lothian acts. But yeah. That mm-hmm. area is obviously as we touched on earlier with the Dundee when the view came out and you had all these bands on about them. And West Lothian, I, I do mention it quite a bit in the podcast. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's very similar. You've got Mark Sharp, you've got the Snuts, you get all these bands on about Dictator all coming for this small area. So Yeah, but it was Subo, Subo, Subo that kicked it all off, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, but what about, um, no, what's the lad... Um... Oh, the lad that's a songwriter uh, from around about there. Now, I get mixed up. It's not, is it David Sneddon or is it the other one? He, mm. David Sneddon was with Paisley, wasn't he? Yeah, because that's how that's how um, Paolo Nettini got discovered. Yeah, that's right. But he, yeah. um, my mate Gav Pearson was hosting a night and Paolo was uh, was hosting some at his school and Paolo was late. Was that uh, so, Christmas Yeah, well, I don't know, but um, Gavin got this young lad up to sing a song because David Sneddon was late. So, yeah. um, oh, who was it? He's a, now a successful songwriter because uh, he didn't want the limelight. He might have been on, might have been on Fame Academy or something. What is his name? Oh, I remember his name. It was Liam Jackson. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah leon jackson is from like blackburn or somewhere like that because i remember I, I once said to uh the snuts i said or oh, following in uh, susan boyle's footsteps and they're like no uh, leon jackson <laughs> <laughs> yeah so last part obviously so you pick your heroes so what, what are you cooking them uh well who doesn't like a curry <laughs> so I'm going with the curry, and uh, to be honest, it's going to be quite a. See, I would, I would like as a. I know I'm only allowed four guests, but 
feel wrong if Candy, my wife, wasn't there as well. Well, that's you need Gavin. somebody to. Yeah, because you need somebody to do the dishes. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. She ne- she she never washes the dishes and she never does the cooking. I have to do that. I'm be cooking the tea tonight. Um, but no, um, I would. Uh, but it would be it would be fairly mild and quite creamy because Candy doesn't like the spicy food. It doesn't agree with her. So uh, yeah, so I'll I'll do a wee curry. I think. Brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, and it would literally not have a name because I would just chuck things in it. I get the get all the different spices and chuck them in, and uh, hopefully it would taste all right and a bit yeah, of maybe the other, the other best ones coconut milk or something just to uh, with a nice. And why is it you can't buy nans that taste like nans you get from the the takeaway? <laughs> even you get you know even if you, even if you get one from the takeaway and put it in the freezer and bring it out, it doesn't taste the same. <laughs> it's incredible because you get all the different nans that you can buy in the supermarkets. None of them are a, a patch on the ones that are actually made in the the wee takeaway up the road. So yeah, yeah. so I would I would maybe invest in one of those oven things that the nans are doing. That they throw the dough against the wall of it to make the nans. I'll invest in one of those. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> you can't beat a proper nan. Or actually, can I not just get a takeaway in? You can do what you like. It's up right, to I'm you. getting a takeaway. I'm getting a takeaway in from the Amran Tanduri and uh, halfway Gambus line. Brilliant. Absolute pleasure having you on. Um, I'll post all your, your links and all that to your radio shows. Um, Thanks for having me, Martin. It's been, it's been good fun. And, and we never even got on to speaking about the Libertines and the time I interviewed them at uh, the Barfly and in the uh, dressing room and I was DJing at the time and I had to put on a New Order's Blue Monday to give me enough time to nip across the dance floor to the dressing room to interview uh, Pete and Carl. But there we go. That for another day. Yeah, I'll get you back on for a part two. That's brilliant. Right, you take care, Jim. Thank you very much. Cheers, man. See you later. Cheers. Thank you. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Time for Heroes podcast. If you would like to get in touch, the best way is on the Facebook page, Time for Heroes podcast, or on Instagram at Time for Heroes podcast, or Twitter at Time for Heroes P1, or drop me an email at Time for Heroes pod at gmail.com You'll find Time for Heroes on all podcast platforms including Spotify, Apple, Google and Amazon. Please leave a review where you can, share with others and more importantly, enjoy. Enjoy.